A reading from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, beginning at the first verse. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe, Ezra, to bring the book of law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the word of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Our scripture reading this morning is set after the Babylonian exile. As the descendants of those who were exiled begin returning to Jerusalem, and the work of restoration and remembering begins. For two generations, most of the people have not been able to hear the Torah. Their temple was destroyed and many of their religious traditions have been forgotten. The, story, the stories of God were not being shared and the people now home feel lost and unmoored. They've forgotten that their story was part of God's story. The truth is that the people forgot well before the exile. They forgot and they refused to listen to the prophets who told them again and again to welcome the stranger, to care for the poor and the orphan. The prophets who explained that God wanted mercy, not sacrifice. But the people had kings and they had wealth and so they forgot their connection to the divine story. They forgot their prophets. God. First Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, prosperity causes amnesia. People with amnesia don't know who they are, and they don't know what they're expected to do, and they don't remember their backstory. The people had forgotten most of what they'd known 
about their own religion, their own connection to the divine. The return of the descendants who were exiled and the resulting reunion with the descendants of those who never left was a devastating disappointment. The walls of Jerusalem were in ruins. The great temple was a mound of rubble. The countryside was a wasteland. And so they got to work. And Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra organized a series of urban renewal projects, including building a new temple and new city walls. But with their amnesia, they were going through the motions of restoration without the meaning, without remembering. And so they asked Ezra to read from the law of Moses, to read to them from the Torah, to remind them of the stories of God. As we heard, the people gathered for an outdoor public assembly to hear again the sacred stories of God and God's people. They built an outdoor wooden platform for Ezra, and then they gathered every one of them, men, women, children, everyone who could hear and understand, the scripture says. Once everyone was gathered and the scripture was read, we hear, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their heads and hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Ezra was not the only worship leader. He was joined by Levites, who were crucial to this whole experience because not only did they offer some exegesis, but they also translated the scripture from Hebrew into Aramaic. You see, the people by this time spoke Aramaic, the language of the Persian Empire, the language that Jesus and the disciples will speak many years in the future. But the Torah was written in Hebrew. So picture it, they're outside and Ezra is reading in Hebrew and then the Levites translate into Aramaic and add some commentary. And they do this from morning to midday. So something like six hours. Should we try it on Sunday? <laughs> I'll read in Hebrew from the first books of the Bible, and then we can translate it and talk about it and see if we can come up with what it means. And don't worry, we'll stop after six hours. <laughs> While we know that the people asked Ezra to read, we don't know what he read exactly. And there's a lot of material in those first five books. Maybe Ezra read of God creating humankind and God's own image. Or maybe he read of God first calling Abraham. Or perhaps he read Hagar's story of naming God. Naming God, you are the one who sees me. Maybe Ezra's voice gave utterance to the story of God bringing the people up out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt. Maybe the people listening to Ezra and the Levites 
heard their own stories and the stories of the people wandering in the wilderness, desperately searching for a land flowing with milk and honey. Whatever it is that you read, old words came alive in a new way and the people listened and the people learned and they remembered, they connected. They were so moved that they worshiped, bowing down, putting their faces to the ground and weeping. As a teenager, I read the Bible for fodder to argue with my father about his sermons. I have a new appreciation for the other Reverend Mayo now that Owen is almost 14. <laughs> and I have apologized more than once. I also read the Bible to find life verses. You see, in the churches of my childhood, everyone had a life verse. It was kind of like a game set around and said, what's your life verse? And then people quoted from the Bible, like Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I always thought that one meant something different from what they thought it meant. Or Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Or Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, now so famous it's on cat posters. <laughs> I read the Bible to find life verses with a little more flair, like Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to his folly. <laughs> or Judges 4.21, but Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him after he lay asleep, exhausted, and she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. After showing my Sunday school teacher that that was, in fact, a direct quote from the Bible, I still got sent to my father's office again. <laughs> I was very fond of 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Elijah went up there from up to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Get up on you, bald head. And when he turned around and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And then two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. These are our sacred stories. With the whole life verse thing, we often had to say why the passage was meaningful to us. And I had a lot of fun explaining the deep insights I found in verses like the ones I've just read. I also memorized a lot of scripture. It's not all bad. But here's the thing, while I was mining the Bible for comebacks, I found unexpected treasures, like the parables that seemed to say more than I had ever gleaned from any sermon about them. I discovered the Sermon on the Mount and I felt like weeping with both joy and guilt. I'd been misled. Jesus doesn't care about what music I listen to or if I cuss. Jesus wants me to love my enemies, to strive for peace and justice. 
I did need to change, yes, but justice was to be my goal, not piety, not some checklist of beliefs. I discovered flawed and loving people just trying to do the right thing and getting it right and getting it wrong. I discovered forgiveness, forgiveness just in time and forgiveness never given. I discovered that I was part of a much larger purpose, a purpose of freedom and peace and justice and mercy. And so like the people, I wept many times. The passage continues, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Given my own experiences with the Bible, it makes sense to me that the people listening to Ezra and the Levites weep. Perhaps they feel connected to a story larger than themselves. Perhaps they now know what it is they need to do. Perhaps they realize that they are not alone, that they're part of God's story too. Perhaps they feel guilty hearing what God wants and knowing that they're not doing justice, not loving mercy, knowing that they have work to do, that they need to change, knowing that they want to, that they want to change. Perhaps they realize that their lives have meaning, meaning far beyond the years they'll spend here on earth, meaning that will last for generations, and so they weep. The long period of amnesia is over, and they weep. They remember, they reconnect, they know again that they are part of love and justice and freedom, part of worship and community part of something ancient and still enduring. But the people are not left with only their tears and a beautiful embrace of both and, both weeping and joy. The leaders say, don't mourn or weep. The day when you hear God speaking to you is a holy day. It's a day of deep joy because you have made contact with the divine. It's a day of remembering, a day of finding something that's been lost. This is a day not only for weeping, but for celebration also. People are not told to fast, not told to crawl on their knees repenting. No, the leaders say to them, eat the fat, the richest foods, and drink the sweetest wine. Celebrate and send a takeout to the people who couldn't be here with you. <laughs> it's joy. 
Let the remembering, let the stories, let this experience of your place, indeed our place, and God's story, let it bring you joy. Christian mystic Julian of Norwich wrote, The greatest honor we can give Almighty God is to live gladly because of the knowledge of God's love. To live gladly because of the knowledge of God's love. Reading our scripture, we find over and over and over, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Ezra, after reintroducing the Bible to the people, says, Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so my prayer for us this day is that our sacred stories lead us to joy, that they help us to know that we are loved, that we are not alone, that we are part of a larger story and a much larger purpose. That we are connected to an ancient effort to know and be known by the divine, by God. May our sacred stories help us to do justice and love mercy. And may we draw strength from them. And when they cause us to weep, May we be reminded that joy is part of it, too. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen.